glad to have everyone here this morning and to look in, into God's word together again. We are in the uh, third chapter of Philippians, and we're start picking up in the 17th verse today. And we are looking into a very interesting part of the word, an exhortation of the apostle when he, he begins to speak about how our walk matches our talk, and also our talk declares our walk. And we will see this flow as we look into this portion of scripture this morning. Beginning in verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the power of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself." Paul is writing, we've been talking about this as we've been going through the book, from a Roman prison, and we don't know exactly the conditions, whether he was in one of the, the cistern-like prisons that existed in Rome, or potentially he would have even been under house arrest as he is writing this, but he's writing back to a church that was probably around 800 miles away from him when he was in prison, and there he's writing to the church of Philippi, and there it is, he is wanting to express his heart one more time to this dear church. And as he reaches this point in his writing, his heart goes toward their walk and his walk. And he has been talking a lot and teaching a lot. And if you look at this, we'll see theological truth and we'll see a lot of truth. We can grab in a lot of ways, a lot of hands and feet in Philippians. But as he comes toward this part of his, of, of his teaching, he begins to flush out Christianity. Maybe you could say he begins to put shoe leather on Christianity. That which we can practically understand, and it becomes palatable to us as Christians in a way that we can embrace. In verse 17, Paul, notice he is writing to the church of Philippi when he says brethren, that would be brothers and sisters. Often the term brethren was to classify a sweeping approach to the existing church at that time. But join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And here Paul is simply saying for a moment, I want you to go back and look at what, who I was among you, how I lived there, I served there, led people to Christ, even went to prison there. And I want you to look and see Jesus as you see me. He says, as you see me, the apostle Paul, a man that's now in prison, I want you to look through me, past me, and see the example of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, we see this heart of Paul different places as he addresses even the Corinthian church when he says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And what he's saying is, 
I want you to follow me like I follow Christ, or follow me as far as I follow Christ. Keep looking to Jesus, but see Christ in me as you continue to follow. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the, to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Paul loved every one of these churches in amazing ways, and we see the expression of that love in many ways as he would write and speak to them. But here he says, I want you to follow my example. And then he says, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So notice what Paul is doing. He's saying, look at the example I set, and then look around you and see who else is walking by the example of Christ. And what is beautiful of that is he begins to spread out this beyond himself. Look to me, but look out there because there's a lot of believers that you'll see Jesus in. You'll see his life in. Many years ago, I heard an old pastor say that Christianity, in order to really be understood, must be lived. And that is so true. There is something about seeing the example, seeing what it means to love, what it means to forgive, what it means to serve, what it means to be kind, or just what it means to worship in the assembly of God as God's children in the ways in which God calls us, and we do that. You know, when I first began as a young guy in high school, I got a job for a landscaper, and it was really... Uh, he was just starting in this little business and every job was kind of like, he would call us together and he'd say, guys, if we don't make it in this job, you probably won't have a job within a month. And we would just work almost in a panic as, a, as young guys because we wanted to keep having a job. And he would work with a certain fervor that was so commendable, but I can still remember you would be planting plants. And this was in California in the summer. It was hot. You'd be planting plants or, or setting the, the grade for a lawn. And he'd come along and say, John, let me show you how to do this. He'd grab that shovel. And just for 15 minutes, he would shovel for all he's worth. And he'd leave. And I'd say, okay, that's how you do it. And then I'd go, well, but uh, how do you do that all day? Just like that. Now, the Word of God teaches that we are to show others how to do it. But there's also another part of what Paul is driving at here we're going to see in a minute, and that is that sometimes we are, we go steady by jerks. Sometimes we have streaks and strokes of brilliance, but oftentimes the power is in that commitment, I remember we had one young man that used to work for us, and I love the guy, and he's a pastor today, and a helicopter pilot, just a great guy. But he could go out there and just be, it was so moving what would happen. And all of a sudden, he would come and show up on the job today, and it was tremendous what we got done. But I wasn't sure what day he was going to show up on the job. And what I mean by that is he showed up on the job, but he really wasn't there. Because today he had had a big weekend or something else or his mind was somewhere else. And there is a place when Paul was speaking of following my example, he's saying, I'm still there for you. And if you look around, you'll see people that are steady. They're walking according to God's word and faithfully following the Lord. And they're teaching 
by in word and deed. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul again to the Corinthian church, verses 11 through 13. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. Now, this is amazing coming from that beloved apostle who had so much education that we'd looked at, so much pedigree, and we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. Now, this is flushing out Christianity. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. But what we see with Paul is his teaching was at least twofold. He was teaching the word, line upon line, precept upon precept, but he also was teaching by example. He was teaching by his hands and his feet. Even one place it says in the book of Acts, he worked as a tent maker and he just labored among them. He would use that term, I labored among you. I worked among you. My life showed you an example in the ways in which I worked with you and with others. Several years ago, we were in China traveling with a pastor whose name was David. Now, I, they never told me his Chinese name, but that was his name was David. He had planted a church in a region, and, and oftentimes, as it goes in China, that church had planted many other churches. And around there, out of this, they estimated maybe over 200 house churches had sprung up in about five years. China's like a fire. We, right over here, I looked at a wheat field the other day, and every time I see a wheat field, they, I think it's amazing. If you take a match and strike that, that wheat field right now, it'll just go so quickly. And that's how it is in China. You touch an area with the gospel, and it just spreads like a fire. But David and I were working together with a, a missionary on, on bringing some workers into the U.S. that were Chinese Christians to help us pick apples. And they were all house church believers. And he was the leader of all these churches because he was the first guy who'd established the church. And, but you know, I'll have to admit, the whole time I spent with David, which is about four or five days, I really never saw that dynamic, vital, engaging way. He was just the first guy that started the first church in this whole region. And that's what happens. The first guy starts the first church in China, just to give you a real basic fundamental teaching, and that just spreads out. But he is also acknowledged as a leader. And I always wondered, that's kind of interesting because David didn't even engage. I was engaging through translation with these people and going to their houses and have little meals with them and coffees and things. But when David really engaged to me and I saw David in action was about three years later. What happened was David had went through all these little churches and given these little teeny micro loans that it's really powerful today in, in the mission field. Just a little micro loan and it gives people the ability to fish rather than to just take a fish. They learn how to be creative in different ways. And I don't know what happened and how it happened, but all of a sudden those two, all, all those 200 churches turned against David and they claimed he defrauded them and they refused to pay back their loan. And I wonder, what's David gonna do with this? Wow. And I watched, and I, I began to get looped into the correspondence with the missionaries out of China and was coming to me. And all I saw in David's response was love, kindness, forgiveness, and I'll follow Jesus. And I kept thinking, David, is he, are you ever gonna swing? 
Are you gonna swing one blow? And I never saw David swing a blow. Love, kindness, forgiveness, continually. And all of a sudden, this man that had been so quiet about four years earlier, who hardly engaged, just kept growing because of an example that I witnessed in forgiveness. I don't even know the rest of the story. Oftentimes it's that way in China. There's so much persecution, there's so much, but the last thing I knew was that David voluntarily stepped down in leadership and he just gave it to God and walked with the Lord. And it's, it's interesting as we look at this because um, we have these two teaching dimensions that go out of every life that's here this morning. We have the teaching that goes verbally from our lips, the ways we speak of Jesus, the way we speak of his righteousness, his redemption, and the other dimension is that which goes out of our hands, our feet, but maybe even more clearly out of our hearts. What comes forth from these lives in ways that declare his righteousness? Here's another, here's a, here's a verse that if we look a little further here, let's read 17 again to get the flow of 18. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us or, or that which you have seen as the spiritual fabric that has been woven in our lives. But now Paul diverts for just a verse or two and he speaks of something that is so sad that uh, is so, was so sad even in his day. I think sometimes they think, wow, in the day we live, isn't it really tough even as a Christian? But notice it was tough then too. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And as he's saying this, I'm thinking, what if he's in a, in a, in a Roman prison in a cistern like they would have and he's writing this and all these other guys are there and they begin to say, hey, notice Paul, he's beginning to cry. That was how deep it was with him. He says, I tell you this, but notice with me what he's saying. They walk, they are professing Jesus, but they're not possessing Jesus. They are saying it but it is not being manifest by the twofold witness of a life that backs the testimony. And notice how far Paul went with this. He says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. It's like they are in, in rebellion against the very work of the Lord Jesus, against his cross, against all that Jesus is in every way. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 8, Paul writes, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. This is one of those Macedonian churches if you were here in the early part of this going through the book of Philippians, Macedonia was also one of the churches of Asia Minor in which Paul was, was attached to and he connected with so deeply. But Paul really walked the talk and he talked the walk. Now there's two different parts of that and we want to touch that this morning because sometimes we'll swing to one or the other but we'll forget there is another 
part of it. There is the part of talking the walk. Someone comes to one of us here and they say, I'm really blessed because of how I just see you do a good job for me. Now I have the privilege of talking the walk. Well, really, it's not me. It's Christ in me. You know, I thank God that uh, you're, you are such a good neighbor. Now the privilege of talking the walk is saying, you know, really without the Lord Jesus, I'm nothing. A few days ago, I was um, over by Fountain Hills getting some gasoline. And I was just going to the pump. I'd been in the store. And you have been to this place many times too. Here she came. What I mean by this, this was the woman in need. And she had the angle on me towards the pump, and I wanted to get the gas pump for my vehicle. But she was ahead of me. And she looked at me, and she said, I need money. My, my friend and I are trying to get back to Los Angeles. We have no money, and we have no way to get back. And is there anything, sir, you could do to help me out? And you know what God does for me, maybe some of you he doesn't do this with as much, but there's a little reset right then because I still wanted to get the gas and deal with that kind of down the road a little bit. But this woman uh, was just right there and there she was, I need the money. So I reached in my wallet and I had two bills. One was small, one was larger. And I looked and I thought that small might be kind of like an insult and the larger was kind of larger. <laughs> so I gave her the larger. But I told her, I said, you know, I want you to know, and this was the talk with the walk. I said, this isn't mine. This is God's because I'm a Christian and everything I have is God's. And so I just want to bless you with that because without God, I would have nothing. And she looked at me and she just froze and she said, you know what? I'm a Christian too. And she says, I never expected to get to this place. I said, that means you're my sister. She says, yeah, and you're my brother. And she says, Would, could I get this back to you someday once I get to Los Angeles? And I said, no, just give it to somebody else. And what God did in just one little minute over there in Fountain Hills is he just opens this door through talk and walk and communication that, that spiritual fellowship flows and God does a work. It's amazing the ways God works and the ways he, he does this. You've, you've probably heard this uh, little phrase, it's a little poem that says, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. It's a little tongue twister. It's kind of, it kind of flips you around a little bit. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. You know, there's a possibility in every Christian's life, and I would have to say there's a probability, really, at some point, that we are walking without talking, or we're talking without walking. And Paul here in his teaching for us this morning is speaking of the importance of talking and walking as we flow in the Christian's life. We're speaking of him. We're speaking of his power. But our hands and feet are blessing. They are moving in ways to honor him and praise him. And oftentimes, it is the blessing that's going out to somebody else 
through that. I'm not going to take all the t- a lot of time here, but I do want to give a, a simple lesson that we'll find back in 2 Samuel 18 and 19. And it comes from this gentleman named Ahimehaz, and it came in probably the saddest war that, Saul, uh, that David ever fought. And there it was, he was fighting against his son Absalom. And in 2 Samuel 18, 19, uh, we're coming to the time that the war is over. And what had happened was Absalom was going against David's army and against Joab and all the strong people of David's army. And you might remember the story. Absalom had this great head of hair and he goes under a tree and the tree catches it and he dangles and he can't leave and he's caught. And a couple soldiers saw it, and they would not touch him. They gave it back to Joab, the, the captain of the army, the, the great king's aide. And Joab took three darts, and he went over there, and he pierced the heart of Absalom. And they brought him down to the tree, and he was slain. And now it was time to take the message back to the king. Someone had to deliver the message. And it was Ahimehaz that came to David, and there it is. He said, please let me run and bring the king news that the Lord has freed him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said, Ahimehaz, you didn't see it. You did not see what really happened. But Ahimehaz kept forbearing on him, and finally David said you could run. But there was another guy there that was right there. His name was Cushai. And Cushai had seen what had happened. And he had heard and seen the message. But the word of God says that Ahimehaz, he probably would be in the Olympics today, was so fast running a marathon that he went right around Cushai. Cushai got first start. Ahimehaz took off and got past him. And it was Ahimehaz that got to King David first. And King David said, what happened at the battle? And Ahimehaz said, well, I saw a lot of commotion. I saw a lot of stuff and something happened, but, I, but that's what happened. And David said, get to the side of Ahimehaz, because I see another man coming. His name is Cushai. And here comes Cushai with the message. You see, Ahimehaz ran without the message. He was running. He was fast. And when we're speaking about talking and walking, it is important to recognize that we can run without the message. We can have energy. Our lives, even in church life, can be full of activity. But we can lose the heart of the gospel in the midst of religious activity. And when Cushai got there, he delivered the message that broke the king's heart. It may have been, oh yes, he was broken when he had fallen with Bathsheba, but this broke his heart so greatly. Because there it was that he, his son, you just get the cry of of David for it must have went on for weeks. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, would to God. I would have died, but my son died. But he had the message from one man who ran. He didn't run the fastest, but the other guy ran without the message. I just think it's important because I share this with you just as a, a pastor, and it's just been a burden of my heart that I can never bring a message to you unless I've got the message from God. If I don't get the message from God, I can't bring it to you. 
There is a place I must go to the mountain. I must find God. But I give this to everyone here as Paul is speaking about walking because the power of the message is where you get the source of the message. You see, Cushai got the message right ground level. He saw it. He saw the power. And the power here in the message is tied directly to the source in which you come from. I, re- I believe it's the Apostle John that said it like this, and I'm just going to quote uh, as I would remember it. He says, that which was from the beginning, which our hands have handled, our, that which we have touched, we declare unto you. What we have seen, we have touched, we've handled, we declare it. And you know, this is why it is so important for God's children to keep connecting deeply with God. Prayer, reading, fellowship, because that's where we're going to get the message. We're going to get it at the source of the supply. I want us to notice as we look a little farther, we're just diverting for a minute, a a moment. You know, I wish we never had to look at this in the word of God in verse 18. I wish we never had to see this even surrounding church life in any way, but it simply isn't true. For many walk of whom I have told, often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, not just enemies of a brother or sister, not just enemies of a particular denomination or style. It says they walk and they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he gives the end result. who says whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame who set their minds on earthly things. And here he is saying that they're walking, but they're walking the wrong way. You see, the word of God says many will say in that day, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name, in your name cast out devils, in your name done many wonderful works, and God will just simply say, I didn't know who you were. And here Paul is simply saying, this is what it looks like in religion today. We were in the chemical business for many, many years, and what you did in the chemical business, and we were in both the insecticide, pesticide business, but also the herbicide business. But oftentimes, you'd take several formulations, and you'd put them together in a, in a mixture we'd call a formulation, and that was a formulation which was powerful to effectively control the species that we were attempting to control. That formulation might be two, two different components that are mixed together. It might be three. Sometimes you can go down to Lowe's or Home Depot and you can pick up those formulations pre-mixed. Oftentimes in the commercial markets in which we worked, you, you would work with several different components, sometimes four and five, to blend into such a blend that would control a species out in Haver, Montana, let's say, which is so rugged and so difficult. Now, what the Lord Jesus does is he speaks to us about walking and talking is he says, I I want to work with you with my Holy Spirit to make a difference and to flow through you to other people in ways that honor me, glorify me, and it touches the lives of other people. I think in our worship this morning, Andy mentioned that a couple times, just the blessing of glorifying the Lord Jesus. I just wrote down really quickly just a few simple areas that we test often in, in, as we're looking on spiritual formulation. And one of those simple tests is, does it bear good fruit? 
Jesus says a tree is known by its fruit, and, and Paul in Galatians says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and faith and temperance. Number two, as uh, I just wrote down, was what's the end result in the test? What do you see at the end? You know, oftentimes we could put together a chemical formulation that did what we call a quick burn. It would control the species from the top, but it would not go down to the root. It would not effectively work through the plant through translocation where the root absorbs it down into its system. And here as we think about this spiritually, we think of what's the end result. If you look with me at what Paul references here in 19, the end is destruction. If you see that, the God's the appetite, the glory is their shame. The mind is set on earthly things. Another area is, it's a real simple one, but so often I really believe in, in the realm of all religion, it's lust. And that is, is God glorified? Is the Lord glorified? One of my favorite writers, one of the things I'll never forget from him, he said that the chief end of man is simply to worship God and to glorify him forever. If our lives or our systems or our philosophy is a cloud to the glory of God, something's got to go. Because God must be glorified. Here's another one. Is the word of God upheld? Is, is that which we see or touch or sense? Maybe we're witnessing something wondering, God, I don't know what to do. Is the word of God driving the, the power behind what is happening? You know, Paul would write to Timothy several times, Timothy, you study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Keep going back to the word. What does the Bible say? What does the word say? It might sound good, but what does God's word say? Because this is so essential when we're looking at Paul speaking to us about the walk and the talk and even drawing from the example. Another one I just jotted down, does it, does it promote holy living? The end of God's work is holiness. The end of God's work is always righteousness. It's glory. It's, it's beauty. It's that which once causes me to want to draw closer to God. I remember something my father taught me as a younger man. He says, if you're studying the word of God and you come to a place that you're beginning to develop a philosophy about a passage of scripture, Ask yourself, is it promoting holiness within your heart? And if, it, and if you can say, yes, Lord, it is, not, not, not self-righteousness, not judgment, not condemnation of someone else, but holiness within my heart. Yes, God, it is. It's actually bringing holiness in my heart. It may be of God. Another part of that is just, uh, does it bring Humility. You see, God's great work isn't really done in our lives until he has produced a humble spirit, a spirit that is, is open to God and saying, God, I will do whatever you want, and I will go wherever you want, and I want your name only to be glorified. Several years ago, I, we had a, I had an early morning flight to take out of Pasco, Washington. We lived about an hour away, and I could go to one or two airports, and a lot of my work took me to an airport, and I had to leave home at 3 o'clock in the morning to get the flight at 5 o'clock out of Tri-Cities. And so many of you can relate to this, some of you can't, but 
at three o'clock in the morning when no one is on the road and you have an appointment, you are just moving toward the appointment. There's something about it. And I was going down a road called Yakima Valley Highway and all of a sudden I looked to my left and there was a sheriff sitting in the middle of a pear orchard and that pear orchard happened to be my pear orchard. And I thought, what's the guy doing in the middle of my pear orchard? And it didn't take very long to find out. His light was on and he's out of the pear orchard and he pulled me over. <laughs> right in the front of that pear orchard. And he said, sir, do you, you know how fast she's going? I said, I don't know how fast she's going. He goes, why had you at 65? He says, do you know what the speed is in front of this orchard? And I said, I don't know what the speed is in front of that orchard. He said, it's 50. I said, that's sir, but that is also my orchard. He looked at me and says, at three o'clock in the morning, he says, give me your license, stay in your car, give me your registration, and I will be back and don't move. He had heard it all. It wasn't very long, he came back, maybe five minutes, and he stuck his hand in and says, do you care if I park in that pear orchard because they don't see me? And I said, I don't care, it just kind of caught me. He says, you were going 65, have a good day. My walk wasn't matching my talk. Now that was just absent-mindedness. What they did was they took the sign shortly after that, which was out of the sight of how I merged into the Yakima Valley Highway, and they brought it back and they put it right on the pear orchard where guys like me could see the sign and know it was actually 50 miles an hour right there. But my walk didn't match my talk. And I had grace. And that's what's amazing about God. Uh, oftentimes, and all of you can relate to this in some way or another, all of a sudden God will gently just tap you and say your walk right now isn't matching your talk, but just call out to me and I'll give you grace. I will extend my grace to you. James is one of those beautiful books. We, we did a study of some of you are here a while back just in our home. It was, it was so amazingly profound again when we got in the book of James and saw how much of that book is just shoe leather. It's just flushing out Christianity. It's simply living what we're doing, saying, knowing, whatever. But here's what James says in 1 and 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You'll see in James this beautiful thing, this beautiful truth he keeps bringing up. Doers and hearers, doers and hearers. Don't just be a doer. A hearer, be a doer. And also he will speak later about the talk also. James 13, 3, 17 and 18. This is one of those beautiful results. Now we have been looking at some results of destruction, shame, earthly things. But here is the result of a walk matching talk. Of, the, of, of a Christ-centered life. But the wisdom from above, 317, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace of those who make peace. There's the result. And we're speaking of our walk and our talk. I think there's a song, some of you may know it. Your I, I was trying to pick that up this morning, didn't take the time to, to draw it out, but just 
your walk and your talk, your walk and your talk, your talk walks, your walk talks. It's just the most amazing, beautiful truth you can find. Paul in verse 20, but for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the power of his glory to the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. You look at that and go, wow, what's he saying? And he's basically saying, our home is in heaven. Even though we're on earth, our heart is already moving toward heaven, and God wants that heart heavenly because that's our citizenship. We are American citizens, most of us. Most of us live somewhere around Surprise, Arizona. Most of us uh, are Arizona. Some are natives. Some have came in. But Paul here is simply saying, remember in all of my teaching here that our, your citizenship is somewhere else. It's in heaven. We're not home yet, but our heavenly citizenship is where we're at. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul, after writing one of the great teachings on grace, ends this way. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitly fitted together is growing into a, in a, to a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Now we could probably camp on that for a long, long time and just think about what, it, what amazing truth it is just to be a citizen of heaven. But I think one of the things that we can draw from our lesson this morning, as Paul said, as a citizen of heaven, let's walk like citizens of heaven. Let's talk like citizens of heaven. Let's make heavenly choices. God, how are you glorified? God, how do you want to bless through this experience? Lord, how can this little decision that I am praying over truly go and spread in a tremendous way in blessing and honor and glory to Jesus? We're going to go into the fourth chapter, and you, I think you, most of you know this by now, but the, the, the chapter in the original would not have been just like chapter four. It's just Paul's writings. It continues to flow. We just want to pull a couple verses as we end this morning, and we, we, we end up our little study this morning. Therefore, my beloved brethren, and I want us to notice just how Paul's attachment was to Philippi, whom I long to see my joy and crown. Notice where Paul's blessing had been. In his life, he'd been many places, but the joy and crown of his life was a church living to the glory of God. My joy and crown, in this stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Paul comes back again. He says, I want you to stand firm in the Lord. In lieu of the message we're looking at this morning and this little theme, he's saying, I want you to grow to such an extent that your walk is matching your talk. You're standing for Jesus as a heavenly citizen, as a new creature in Christ Jesus. But in the second verse, Paul just stops a moment and he lingers and he doesn't take a lot of time. And sometimes we'd probably say, you know, the, the church of Philippi was, uh, 
was almost this church without fault. And I love this because oftentimes it was the church looked at just about as refined in the spirit as you'll find. Maybe no other church quite as refined. But one of the beauties of it is God says, for a moment, I'm going to assure you through the writing of Paul that this church wasn't perfect either. This church had its struggles. And there he said, I urge Euodia and I, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And he just reaches out and says, here's two sisters. In your church, I know who they are, and I'm just asking you to get along together. And notice how he says to do it. He doesn't say, convince each other you're right. He doesn't say, I want you to stand firm in your convictions and prove that you are right. What he says is, I want you to live together in the Lord. Think of that like a pyramid. He points and he says, that's the common denominator. That is that that we always have together. You may be here, Eurodius. You may be here, Syntyche. But I'm appealing in the spirit that together you walk in the Lord. I believe both of these women would have been amazingly differently gifted women. But something happened right at this little blessed church called Philippi that the enemy worked his way in and he drove his wedge to where Paul took just enough time to exhort this church to work together in the Lord. But I want us to notice uh, more here that goes right with this as we close this morning. Indeed, true companion, I, also, I ask you also to help these women who shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. And there's something else. Here's Herodias, here's Antiochus. And there was these women in the church of Philippi that was very actively working in the ministry, even of Paul, in a powerful way. I wonder, well, how were they staring the struggle? They're not in prison with him. They're not in any place handicapped with him. How would they be sharing the struggle? Probably one way right away we could go to is they just prayed. They just connected. It was a couple weeks ago, one of you sisters walked up to me and you hadn't been here very long and you said, you know, I'm just here to share with you. Uh, I'm not sure how God's gonna use me in this church. We feel like it's home church, but the area that I really feel called to, to uh to minister is in the area of prayer. I'm a prayer warrior, and it just blessed my heart. I don't know what else was there. I have no idea what all Paul was talking about there, but I want us to notice how far it went. These women that shared, you had Eurodius and Syntyche here struggling a little bit, and Paul says, let's live in harmony in the Lord. He didn't give this great big exorcist. He just simply said, let's get along in Jesus. And then he said, I ask you to help these women who shared with me in my struggle in the cause of gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow laborers. Notice what happened. Clement was working with these women. Now, some of you sisters here are called to some amazing ministries, and the power that happens within a church like this doesn't just happen with a group of elders or a group of deacons or a group of men's leadership. It, help, it happens with godly women and Clements also working together. 
How God does that is his, way, is, is his work to his glory. But notice what's happening. He started, Paul is writing, he, spoke, he's, he speaks about the belovedness of these people. There is joy and crown. And then he speaks about this little conflict. And then he just reaches out, almost like a mountain. He says, I want you to look at the women who have shared in my struggle and the cause of God. And there is Clement. Some of you here are Clement brothers working with godly women in special ways. And the rest of my fellow workers and then he ends this, whose names are in the book of life. And you know what Paul looked out and saw? He said, I see some real godly people all working together in amazing ways to God's glory. And this is what causes churches to rise and grow and God to be honored and blessed. Because there's Clements. Yes, there's some Eurodiuses and Tykes kind of working together, a little struggle. But there's other women, other men who are working together for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ in amazing ways. And what that means, we don't really always know in every life, but what it means is God uses his people to his glory in his church. And as he does it, he keeps bringing us that place of saying, I can use you much more effectively and more powerfully when your walk matches your talk and your talk matches your walk. I can just take you and use you and multiply the work in amazing ways to my glory. And I don't know this morning, uh, you know, I, I shared a couple little stories about me, but uh, I guess everyone here could share stories about how God has brought us back to places like that. And how God wants to keep bringing us to that place that our walk matches our talk. That our lives are just like those people that were sharing with Clement and those women. They were just a part of a beautiful team that was flowing together to God's glory. That was reaching out into a community way beyond the walls of this church that God receives the glory and praise in our lives. You know, if God has spoken to you today in any area and all of a sudden you're just sitting there and you come to the point and say, Lord, uh, someone shared this with me last night. I share it with you. Someone says, you know, we just need ushers. If God says, uh, you're to be an usher. Someone else said, we, we need more people in the booth. Uh, it's so easy. Just stop at the connect table and sign up. Someone else says, I'd really like to be in a small group and possibly lead a small group. There's a lot of opportunities to say, Lord, here I am. But it even goes a long ways beyond that. It's saying, Lord, when I go home to my little address today, help me be in that address what you want me to be to my community that surrounds me. You see, because it isn't just about this church. It's not just about a little group of people that meet over here at Calvary Chapel Surprise. It's about a great big kingdom that we can labor together in God's work to his glory. And may God give us the grace and the strength to do that. And I believe as we do, you know, I believe every one of us probably somewhere when we're honest before God, say, God, there's a little gap between my walk and talk. There's a gap. And God says, I'm the one that fills the gap. I build the bridges. I do the work. And we say, God, just do it. May, may your name be lifted up and may you just take those little efforts and those little activities and just bless them to your name. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness, your mercies. Lord, we thank you that you give us examples through Paul, even this church of Philippi that we can look to, and we can follow you because we see godliness. But I also want to thank you, Lord, for even the the demonstrations of your truth in lives that are lived for you right here within this church this morning and the ways that you use some of these dear ones in the most amazing, even unseen ways to your glory, Father. From prayer warriors to simply servants, serving within the church, serving out of the churches, serving in the homes, mothers raising children, uh, fathers raising children, raising up a godly seed. Lord, may you receive the glory and praise. Take us as a body, Father, and lead us to where you want us to go. Take us, Father, and show us the way. Keep us coming to you closer and closer because you teach throughout your word as we come closer and closer to you, we come closer and closer to each other. And that is what we desire, Father, to walk in oneness with you and others and to love others as you have loved us and just be a vessel unto honor. And yet, Lord, if there is anyone here this morning, and there is someone, you know their name, whose name, like we read at the end of this, is not written in the book of life, that they know it. They have not yet found that peace with you. There is not even a walk yet to begin, Lord Jesus. Oh, may today be the day. I I just invite you, Father, them, Father, through your spirit, come forward. There will be those that are on the prayer team. There will be those that are just more than willing to pray that that life can be surrendered to you, Lord Jesus. And that dear soul, that one person here can just simply say, Lord, I don't want this walk anymore because the end is destruction. The God is the belly. It's earthly. I want a citizenship in heaven to be with you forever. So Lord, come quickly and come today in the heart of that dear soul in Christ's name. Amen.